Hello, my friends. My name is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hello, everyone on Education Monsters. This is Aureli, and here I am with my friend Daisy that I met in Montreal. We met at university at McGill, where she completed her master's and her PhD in environmental science. Thank you for being my guest here on this podcast. So let me introduce you to uh, our listeners. So you were born and raised in Indonesia and you did boarding school from 14 to 17. At the age of 18, you moved to Vancouver in Canada to learn English. And that was really amazing because then you continued on. And at 19, you moved to Calgary to finish your bachelor's in environmental sciences. And after that, you finished environmental sciences, master's degree and PhD at McGill. So congrats and welcome here. Hey, thank you for having me here. My pleasure. So I invited you here because you had quite a long path since uh, you started school, actually. And can you tell us about uh, who you are and where you're from and how you were raised with your parents and whether being in Indonesia is still a big part of who you are? All right. So uh, thank you again for having me here, for inviting me, actually. This is exciting. And this is my first um, invitation um, to speak at a podcast. <laughs> and... Yeah, I, I feel excited, actually. Um, okay, so we can go quite deep with this question because I, um, I grew up actually in a small town in Indonesia. Um, this town is called Kupang. So even in Indonesia itself, this town is very unpopular. And people from this region are uncool because we are from villages. So did you have a different accent or dialect coming from the rural areas or not at all? Right. So we do. Um, in Indonesia, every region would have their own dialect. And for sure, the one I come from is not used very much at all. Like I said, we are like from small town. So, but generally what people speak in Indonesia, although it's not formal um, language, is not formal Indonesian, they speak um, a dialect from big cities. So like dialects from big cities are generally understood across the country, whereas mine, um, the dialect from my region is, although you can kind of guess that this dialect is spoken towards this part of Indonesia, which, which is um, the, towards the eastern part of Indonesia, that's where I'm from, but no, nobody really can speak it because it's, like I said, we are unpopular. But um, going back to how I grew up, back then I grew up in Indonesia, I guess that was like late 1980s, early 1990s. I left Indonesia in 2001. So during the time I grew up, we have this um, culture, I guess it still probably prevails right now, is that everything revolves around education. So what I mean is that if you're not good at school, especially the exact fields like maths, chemistry, physics, you are somehow perceived as not smart. So even if you're artistic, you, are, you have very good talents in that creative side, but you're not very good at maths, for example, you will just be labeled as a, I don't know what the proper word to say, but like as a dumb kid or like the less smart um, categories. But if you are smart with maths, physics, chemistry, It doesn't matter if you are not good at sports or physical education, if you're not good at music, you are automatically labeled as the more superior children. Is it associated with a higher paid income, such as being a doctor or an engineer, 
rather than being an artist where the income is much less predictable. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I believe that's quite, um, that has really high correlation. In Indonesia, when you're getting into high school, at the end of your high school year or your final year, you are basically placed in one of the three categories, which are language, science, and social science. So if you're placed in the science, which is the number one, everybody wants to get into science, but your, your grades might not allow you to do that. So if you're placed in science, that means you can go and take anything in universities, any, any program. I mean, you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer, you can be a lawyer. But if you are placed in the least um, favorable category, which is, which is language, then you can only be like, or majoring in programs that are re relevant to language, like English or English and literature, Indonesian and literature, or some, for, some other types of artistic field. So which is, which is like obviously sad, right? Because now we can see that if, if you're good at arts, it doesn't mean that you are not good at maths or, or physics or chemistry. You might just not be that interested then. And we also have to learn differently. But anyways, going back to my childhood, my little, when I was very small, so that's how we grow up. So my parents, they also have this old mentality where everything that you are or, or is based on your grades at school, like how well you do in maths, science, and, and less of anything else. So I guess that, that really um, forms our understanding of who we want to be in terms of profession when we grow up. And I probably that's, that's why I end up in sciences field as well, because I'm always pushed to do well in that area. It happens that I like it too, I, I must say, but I don't know. It probably is a confounding factor. I don't know how much I would enjoy science if I had a different childhood, if like arts and science are equally looked at. I like dancing now as an adult. Maybe if I were given the same um, understand the, the understanding of how these different majors are the same, maybe I would have become like, I don't know, like an, a dancer instead of a scientist. I don't know. Right. But that's a very big influencing factor generally in children or in kids or people are my age. Maybe still now, I, I think I'm not sure. I, I think there have been some changes though now compared to let's say 30 years ago when I was little. Yeah, it's very interesting that you bring this up because it's quite similar in France where you have the three the three fields, you have science, economics, and then languages and literature. And mm -hmm. I was also convinced that I was going to go into science because my parents also pushed me into fields that make money, that inspire stability. But also when I became a teenager around like maybe 14, I went the complete opposite. I was just looking to be an outcast. And maybe mm -hmm. that was uh, my, my way of expressing myself that I was tired of the system. So I went into literature anyway, and mm -hmm. I felt so stuck. It didn't bring me to what I wanted to study, what I wanted to be as a profession, but just it was a way of me to rebel. And also I noticed that the classes were completely um, unequal, even in terms of numbers. We had three full classes of sciences and there were more than 30 people in each class. Whereas in literature, we're barely 24, just in the whole high school. Yeah, and to me, it was such a sign of rebellion that, of course, so few people 
would make it to literature, but also they would accept anyone who wanted to be in literature because they were kind of desperate to fill that field and to keep having those classes. Did you also notice an, an imbalance in uh, the numbers of people in each class? In terms of the number of people in each class, yes, there's very much an imbalance. But I don't know how in France it was or it is. But in Indonesia, you don't get to choose. You are placed by your school. Let's say because your average is if below, let's say, 70, then you're automatically unable to get into social science and science. For you to get to science, I think your average would have, have to be like 85 and above. So if you're 85, five and below, then you can choose social sciences or language and literature. And if you are 85 and above, um, I think I'm just kind of like making this threshold numbers, but it's probably quite close to what it is. So if you are able to get into science, that means you can also get into social science and literature. Yeah, if, if your average, let's say, is below 70, then your only option is literature. And I think that's a very inappropriate system because like, how do you, how is your brain so developed at the age of like 15, 16 or 17 even to be placed in, a, in an education system that will define the rest of your life? What if at that year you just happen to have like problems at home and you're not doing so well in school and then you are automatic, you're automatically placed in a, in a literature and language, but you want to become a doctor and you, you cannot have that chance because in universities, they will not take um, literature and languages into majoring in science and like becoming a doctor or engineering. And um, just going back to the first point is that, yes, there is a lot of imbalance in terms of numbers. Like you said, maybe sciences would have five classes of 30 people each, and then literature and language would just have one class of 15 or 20 people, you know? And social science is kind of in between. So I don't know why I have such problem between sciences, like natural science and like literature. Social science is kind of in between. So people tend to be like smart enough but but maybe not really smart enough to get to science or maybe they were in science they just choose to want to be in social science because they really want to be an accountant or they really want to be a like in finance um, another another thing is that i what i saw usually in like literature and language classes these are the kids that you were saying like they tend to want to rebel in school and we just uh, we just label them as rebels and bad kids because they skip school or they they get into fights or you know they only like sports and they don't like anything else and that's why they're in in literature and just imagine it's sort of like the outcast of of outcasts of the school so all the more rebellious children are are put together in one class how is that going to help them to become less rebellious or to become a better pupils i think it so depends on the area in which you live in like if it's a ghetto school of course you'd be you'd have more probability of having these kids being outcast but in cases of, of schools that have uh, richer kids i think that was in my case we had some outcasts like me but we also had a bunch of people who did not happen to like the methods of teaching in sciences so like i was so traumatized by my math teacher in the first year of high school like she was so not helpful she was making jokes and puns on her last name she was very condescending that to me it, it kind of grossed me out of science altogether because i had such mis misconception i also believed that okay if you 
get interested in math, then you're going to stay a virgin forever. Or if you go into biology, you're going to study like tiny cells and who cares about your cells. Like I was so wrong about these misconceptions because nobody tells you what's afterwards. Nobody mm-hmm. is showing you what's a career path. When you are a child, when your brains and confidence are not fully developed, how do you think that can impact you? And I think back then, teachers and educators, aren't, they're not aware of their action. They're not aware of their power and authority and what, how it impacts, um, how this impact the children that they educate. So those misconceptions, they come from, of course, uh, what you perceive yourself, but also sometimes they come from the teacher, the way they taught the class, and maybe the way they also made you feel about that topic. So Daisy, you had this important anecdote about a music teacher. Can you tell us more about it? Well, I wasn't a very musical person to begin with, like in my family. In a music class, I think we were playing a flute. I forgot like exactly what I did wrong, like what note I pressed wrong or how I did it wrong. And then my teacher just happened to pass by and caught me. So I was like, oops. And she just called me, you're stupid. That's crazy. And that's very discouraging. That is very discouraging. And and the way she called me it out was not in a low volume voice. It was really like a proper, oh, you are stupid. And then I, I was startled. And of course, I'm like, oh, I was in probably grade seven or eight. But what is this thing with public humiliation? Is that supposed to encourage you to perform better so you wouldn't feel shame in front of others? I'm not sure what exactly they're trying to accomplish. Or like, maybe that's like, if I tell you you are not good enough, you are going to feel bad and then therefore you're going to try harder or, or they just want to make you feel bad for no reason. But what were uh, the other classmates' reactions to that? Did they feel that they need to support you? Did they ignore it? I think everybody at the time was busy doing their own things like practicing or whatever. And I also was too embarrassed to look around whether people saw what the teacher said to me. And I was just hurt. I was hurt inside, but you know, you kind of, have, you can't cry. I won't, I, I wasn't going to cry, but like it hurt. Like how come that memory never goes away? It's true. Especially when you're young and you're looking for validation from mm-hmm. older people who are supposedly, uh, who supposedly have authority, but also that you're supposed to look up to. But then when they're saying something so violent and so discouraging like it makes you not want to uh, continue further right it, it makes you it, it deters you from that subject and it's not like she said oh you're stupid and then said oh i'm so sorry that you know like no she said that and as if she was right i think we had similar experiences for for me it was in high school my physics teacher was this very old-fashioned white hair very strict and authoritarian one day i just uh, studied really hard we studied something about beams and lights and i gave out an answer that was incomplete although it was not wrong and he's like we see that you're only um, studying for halfway or something like that and i was also very shocked that instead of encouraging me to uh, finish the definition or to um, help me complete my sentence he would just put me down right away when i entered high school which starts at grade 10 so grade 10 11 and 12 those are high school um at grade 10 and at grade 10 physics was one of my favorite subjects uh, this is past the you know the the after the junior high art and i still like science and and at grade 10 i was fascinated with physics because it explains so many things more specifically and clearly um, of how our world works so 
it was one of my favorite subjects and entering grade 11 the, the same i still have i still really like physics and entering grade 12 my physics teacher is this young guy but he's smart and he's like nice and funny and everything but he you know he likes pretty girls who are like just pretty developed at that age and you, you can see i'm very small so i'm always looking like a little child i don't know what the more appropriate word for a pervert is <laughs> Wait, that was like before the me too movement before the me too movement, i was like no. 17 or something then that's insane it's very universal all of a sudden i just hated physics because i don't understand it anymore he's a pervert and he's always like favoring girls with like developed bodies because i am small so i you know he will never favor me but like he always give ex- good grades to pretty girls or like if the pretty girls does something wrong in their calculations he will like exempt it and to make sure they get like nice scores but like for the rest of us he doesn't care if you like do it wrong or he he will always just show favoritism to to pretty girls was that was that ever denounced was that ever made public by anybody in the class i think everybody kind of knows but it's such a It's not like now. Like now I think he would be in trouble, but at least that part in Indonesia has changed. I think now teachers cannot just be like whatever they want to be. Yeah, so. it's not okay at all. But I was also wondering if there's a link uh with this article that I found about mm-hmm. Indonesian school and it's um an article found on studyinternational.com written by Max Walden in March 2018 called What is wrong with Indonesia's education system? And that's what um it reminded me of. when you were talking about favoritism and also mm-hmm. having ties with the education system so you can fare better which is definitely uh like one illegal and second like how how in the world is this ethical right. so the article quotes its schools and universities remain plagued by corruption poor quality teaching and staff absenteeism teacher and academic appointments have tended to be made on the basis of loyalty friendship and familial connections rather than merit um confirm this or maybe talk more about uh what this article is talking about i'm quite familiar with what he's saying i i think from my experience this happens more on the upper level studies like entering university or entering um a specialization such as of study such as medical um field or specializing in medical in medicine it's very common that since there aren't enough seats for example for medicine i can speak about this because like my family and my relatives and my cousins and my brothers a lot of them are doctors so we kind of know this just to be clear do you enter medical school right after high school at 18 or do you have to perform undergrad just like in the states and canada no you can enter med school right after high school you okay. do have to write that entrance exam but then again it's pretty corrupted so if you if you know somebody or if you have a lot of money and you wanted to put your child in a specific med school most likely you can and a lot of it it's it's how it's done you have to know somebody or you have to have a lot of money so when you come for the interview this is how much i'm offering you know and it's we're not talking about small amount of money we're talking about big big amount of money and more specifically if you are trying to specialize study specialization in medicine because there aren't a lot of seats i think it's pretty it's pretty common to assume that in the rest of the world too that medical schools always never have enough seats for 
everybody. So it's very competitive to get in. But if you have a connection and if you have um, a lot of money, like I said, usually some seats are reserved for special people. And it's really unfortunate because some kids don't even deserve to be in that school simply because their parents are are famous or their parents have a lot of connections um, or are in the politics and have a lot of money, obviously, they get to go there. It's not because of merits, like you said, it's really because of connection and, and just corruption. So it's one way to get in, to pay your entrance exam, like to have the opportunity to study this field, but is it also the same corruption to get the diploma, which is a bigger deal because the country needs people who are qualified to be doctors. It's still like, it's citizen's health. It's not just a, a joke diploma. It's something that like, people's health is put into your hands later on. So mm -hmm. then the system has to take responsibility for that. Some, some children too, like even though their parents already spend so much resources and put them in that school and they just decide they cannot finish because it's too difficult. It happens that they flunk and they bail. But if you decide to finish, I think most likely you will get your diploma without having to buy it. Like we have the same experiences, but it could be what drives me to art and also it could be what drove you to science. In my case, art is supposed to be fun. Playing flute at the age of 13, 14, like making mistakes, it's supposed to be fun, right? Like, but if you got called stupid in front of your classmates and I was sitting in the front, so, and I'm sure my friend, there's somebody who's sitting next to me. It's not like I'm alone in my desk, you know, there's somebody else sitting next to me that must have heard that too. It could be a factor why I, I like, I already did like maths better, but like on top of that, you tell me that I cannot play music and I was dumb. So like, fine, I'm gonna just go the other way. But although now I love art, like I love music. I don't know how to play it, but like I love dancing, for example, dancing I'm very good at. Still came back to it. So it's not like, it's not, um a hundred percent uh 180 turn where you're just not gonna consider arts again like i think with distance and with uh, adulthood you realize that there's a separation between mm -hmm. the teacher how they talk to you how they uh, give you knowledge versus how you would experience things on your own learning by yourself and also nowadays it's kind of uh, ironic because we all acting multi multidisciplinary Uh, like even in my old job, I use languages to translate my science documents. So right. what if I didn't have that literature background to help me with my words? Because here in Quebec, we speak both languages. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's a system that's old fashioned, maybe it worked back then, but now France has uh, changed uh, its system to become more like the US where you can pick classes and it's going to become a little more chaotic where you can pick uh, something that really don't go together. So not languages and literature, but maybe uh, art history and math. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's good. I I think in Indonesia too there have been some changes, maybe less rigid kind of system, but I doubt that they have changed it to become something more like the states. Unless it's in private school, I think you have a little bit more of freedom in in this kind of movement. I was in private school pretty much well, no, not all my life, but in my high school I was in private school, but at the time it's it's the same. It's only private because we understood that um, they hire better teachers and and I think one class has less number of children or kids compared to public school so we are better able to focus back then the system is pretty much the same across across both public and um, private schools did your parents send you to a boarding school because they also know it had a religious component right so my my high school it was a Catholic school 
I think they sent it there. Maybe there's a little bit of that component, knowing that, okay, she's going to a religious school, so she's going to learn societal norms and how what's wrong and what's right and how to conduct. But also, I'd like to mention that generally, when I was young then, when I was in Indonesia at that time, Catholic high schools, private high schools, always produce the best um, like national exams records or results, sorry. So I think that's why my parents or parents in general think that, okay, I'll just send my kids to this private Catholic school so that they can be taught well, so they can also do well in their exams. But if it was, let's say, if it was Muslim schools that produced um, the best results of the national exam, I'm not sure if my parents actually would send me there. Can you tell us more about your country's religion because it seems like Indonesia has a strong population of Muslim people, but also if you're saying that Catholic schools produce the best scores, how would you choose between, okay, I want my kid to be well-educated, but I also want my kid to, uh, to keep their faith into uh, maybe a non-Catholic thinking? Um, yeah, like you mentioned, Indonesia has the largest number of Muslim population in the world. So it's obvious that um, that's a majority of people in the country. And But also back then, I think maybe now too, there is still tension between Islam and the rest of the other religions in Indonesia, in particular Catholics and Christians, I think. So I, I think like in my household personally, or maybe in where I'm from, where I'm from is actually majority Christians and Catholics. So this province, um, it's called uh, Nusa Tenggara Timur or short NTT. Um, if you look it up, you will find it easily. So this is a province whose majority of population is Christian and Catholic. So we, well, although we are minority, I think my parents and generally parents from this side of the, the country wouldn't be comfortable sending their children to um, a Muslim school, even if it had produced the best course because of this tension and because of this tension and it's just I think it's just conflict in our belief system but I'm not sure if well there isn't very many like Hindu school or Buddhist school so I don't know let's say if um, there is there are some Hindu and Buddhist school that produce the best course I, I don't know like how I would my parents would think about it to send their children to that school knowing that they will be taught this this other faith or belief. I don't think my parents will be comfortable. And also maybe this is because people in Indonesia, like when you are holding onto your belief system so strongly, just because that's what you are born into. Although of course there's like room for changes, but generally I think if you're, because in Indonesia you have to have a religion, it's not legal to not have one. So in your ID card, you will have to state what religion are you. So it's probably that part to where, you know, even though you're born into this religion A, you didn't choose it. You're just born into it. You just hold on to it as if it's your identity. It's just like nationality, right? And is it still the case for the new generation? Do people still practice a lot and are very religious and, and very enthusiastic about their religion? I think nowadays I've seen that young people, especially in my faith, I'm, I'm Christian. So now I've seen there are a lot of churches that accommodate this young soul, young vibe, so people don't feel so restricted by the old kind of way of teaching. 
so I, I I've seen like young people are are into this um are into their faith because they can identify they, they feel okay they feel welcome they don't feel so cramped by norms and rules that may not really make sense and that's how I felt when I was growing up I had to go to church too but oftentimes I'm like why am I here this is so boring and and because who wants to go to church and listen to things that are so abstract when you don't understand it, right? But I think now it's, it's, it's changing for the better, I'm guessing, I think. But how hard is it if you want to change religion? And does that happen often? Or does that happen at all in Indonesia? Yes, it happens. I'm not sure if it's often, but it happens, yes. And you're, you can change if you want to. I don't think it's such a difficult um, legal process. Maybe you will just face issues from within your family, but like um, if you have to re- like register in like an official office for changing your religion, I don't think it's such a big deal. You might be an outcast then from your community. I'm thinking of um, interreligious marriages. So let's say uh, two people are from two different religions, and then they want to have a kid. Like, can the kid put both religions on his ID? Right. I don't think so. I don't think that's allowed. So <laughs> I don't think that's allowed. Um, yeah, it's a good question, but I don't think that's allowed. So, but normally they would, um, they would take probably the dad's, the dad's religion, unless the dad doesn't really care. But I think you have to just choose one. And I think that's up to the parents. Speaking of inter-religious marriage, inter interracial marriage is also quite controversial back then like in indonesia there's a lot of let's say there's a lot of chinese indonesian and just like here in canada we've seen like asian canadians it's not such a common thing back then to get married between like an indonesian like myself and like a chinese indonesian but that also slowly changing now which is i think it's good yeah is it an issue of caste that one uh, portrays uh, oneself as a higher social status and which one and does it have to do with money i'm not sure if it's so much a caste it just really has to do with again with this identity that you are different physically so in a, in a way it's like racist because you are just wanting to get married with your own kind and you're not accepting of other people it's like racism within your own country just because your color of skin is different. Let's say like the Chinese are lighter and then we are Indonesians are darker. What I, what I meant to say is both sides of this interracial are going to have problems normally. It's less and less of an issue, but it's not, it's not yet too, too common. Yeah, that's what I was wondering because my parents uh, are from Cambodia and there were also some Chinese Cambodian, but it was also a big deal to get married to someone like with the light like with the lightest skin as possible because you want your kids to have fairer skin like some of my family members were scolded because they choose other cambodians whereas they could have picked some chinese cambodian that looked lighter in skin so that's what i was wondering if it had to do with images but also how people perceive a fair skin as also oh you're gonna have better jobs you're gonna look better and there's also standards of beauty where they think that darker skin are uglier Mm-hmm. I, I think part of the component must be that too, because yes, I can totally relate to what you were just saying now, because when I grew up there, how come I had that mindset that, oh, my skin is darker than, let's say, these people from the West. Usually people from the East, which is where my father is from, we have darker skin. 
uh, my mom is kind of from the middle so my skin is not the darkest shade but it's not the light it's not light it's not light so i'm probably in kind of in between but i feel like if i see someone who is much lighter than me although she's indonesian she's not chinese we would automatically feel like okay she's a she's one up than me you know like why is that like without knowing her like without knowing how her brain works without knowing her personality we think that she is gonna fare better in life than than i will be that color until i came here until i came to canada then i started to i don't know somewhere along the way i changed this perspective is it something that your family has said to you about your skin color like some learned behavior that may be unconscious that teaches you that darker skin is worse than fairer skin I think it's maybe not directly from my family, although my family is also exposed to this culture. So we, we have this mindset and I, I think it's just the culture. I don't know where, where it even started, but of course, like if you see the media, uh, like the movies, the films on like television series and celebrities, you will see people with lighter skin and they're favored more because apparently it's the higher quality of beauty, even though, it's not true. <laughs> Now I can say that it's not true. <laughs> And uh, in Indonesia, uh, uh, does the media portray the darker skinned people? And if so, do they have like other roles like side character or something? Like are they not even being on TV at all? These darker people, yes, they are shown on TV and media, but usually it's because somebody is studying a tribe and like the darker people's tribe are like, <laughs> in the boonies or like they're in the jungle like yeah so they're exotic and they're not yeah, like, they're like part of the population but they're there because they have a reason to be there it's like oh they illustrate something to mm. like to fulfill the purpose of the fairer skin character <laughs> something like that yeah yeah well thank you thank you daisy so much for being in my podcast and uh, i'll catch you up later yes thank you for having me here and i'll i'll talk to you later again Okay, bye. If you love the podcast, you can check out my blog, Education Monsters. It's education-monsters.com. You can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my Patreon page. The link is posted below. If you make a donation, you could have a shout out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcast. And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.